Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. been studying various themes, as I mentioned, since January. And since Easter, the theme we've been studying is this idea of spiritual authority, what it means to be plugged into the authority of Jesus. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He said so before he left disciples. We've been learning about what does that kind of spiritual authority mean? What does it look like? How do we walk in it in various ways in our prayer life, especially in praying for healing and seeing people delivered from the demonic and seeing God answer huge prayers. And so we've been touching on various aspects of that from the book of Mark. And uh, today I want to, my final uh, thoughts on this series uh, for you, I, I want to share this story in Mark chapter 10 and talk to you about it a little bit. Um, before we read that, I, I think one thing, uh, I had this, so I grew up in, the, in, in church. My dad was a pastor, and so I got like a lot of information when I was younger. Didn't always lead to transformation. That, that had to happen later too, especially as I got older. But one of the things I didn't understand until much later in life was my dad would use this phrase sometimes when it came to prayer that I had to learn how to pray through. Anyone ever heard of that phrase, praying through? Maybe it's kind of a very churchy uh, phrase. So maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've not. It's, it's okay if you haven't. But basically the point of it was like praying until you get an answer. It might not be the answer you wanted, but praying until Jesus answers. And you have a clear sense that, okay, I have heard from the Lord. The apostle Paul did this. He, he, whatever this thorn in his flesh was, he describes in one of his letters. He's like, I prayed three times for God to take this issue away from me. And we don't know what it was. Um, but, but he said he heard from the Lord finally, and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, sometimes that gets overplayed to, well, we should just deal with whatever problems are in our lives and don't try and ask God to take them away or, or deal with them or get breakthrough. The point of that was, was that Paul prayed through until he got an answer that gave him peace. Didn't always mean he was going to be comfortable with the, the answer that he got and that it wasn't going to be difficult, but there was a clear sense that Jesus had spoken and he had clarity on the issue. And, and so that, that might make sense to you. It might make no sense to you. I hope that that idea of praying through does make sense to you as we go through this this morning. So let's read together Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It says this, then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. 
Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would become very, very front and center to us, very real, very present, and that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that we would hear your voice and follow you. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see, our hearts to receive, our minds to understand what your word is saying to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, There's a story about uh, a woman in the mid-1900s. Her name was Florence Chadwick, and uh, she was an endurance swimmer who would swim uh, long distances in the ocean. Uh, Most famously, she swam the English Channel, setting a women's record that I believe still stands to this day. Um, Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure it still stands from what I could tell to this day. Uh, And she swam it from the French side to the English side, and she did that a couple different times. And then she swam it from the English side to the French side, which is actually the harder to do because of the way the currents go. And she had done this multiple times. She was a very successful endurance swimmer in the oceans. And she was from California originally. And there was another swimming, uh, endurance swimming thing she wanted to attempt. And, and that was to swim from the Catalina Islands, which is about 30, 35, 38 miles off the shore of Huntington Beach in Southern California, where she was from. And, and she wanted to attempt to swim from Catalina Island to the mainland. It was a larger distance than what she had swam in the English Channel, but she had been building up to this, and she could definitely do it. The distance really wasn't the issue. What the issue was was the Pacific Ocean in this area in particular was much colder than the English Channel. I don't know how that works, uh, but the Pacific Ocean tended to be a lot colder than the Atlantic And so she set out from Catalina Island to swim, and she's got a few different boats that are watching for sharks in the water and any kind of dangers like that and making sure she's safe to swim along. And and she goes, and she's swimming, and she's swimming, and she's swimming, and she's swimming. She goes for about 15 hours, and her mother was in uh, one of the boats just checking in on her. They're right there alongside her and asking how she's doing. And and she says to her mother, I don't think I'm going to make it. And she goes for about another hour and she says, I can't do anymore. And, and, and they, they pull her into the boat. Now, now, what had happened when she set out on this swimming uh, excursion, I don't really know what you call it, uh, this, this attempt to cross this, this area, the Catalina Strait, uh, is, is a heavy, dense fog had set in while she was swimming. And so the entire time she was swimming essentially blind. She couldn't see the California coast anywhere. She had no idea how much farther she had to go. And when she got in the boat and they went a little bit farther ahead, she realized she was only a mile from California. Only a mile. She was so close. She was so close. And she would later tell a reporter, look, 
I'm not excusing myself, she said, but if I could have seen land, I might have made it. If I could have seen the land, I might have made it. And the fog, though, was telling her she wasn't close. The fog was telling her it's still a long way off. The fog was telling her you probably should give up now. And she believed it. And and when it comes to our prayer life, I think there's a lesson for us to be learned here. When it comes to learning how to pray with spiritual authority, I think often we have a very similar experience to swimming in the fog. How many times have you prayed for something and prayed for something and given up? It's not happening. It's not coming true. God isn't answering me. I have no clear answer. Too often, I I think, we give into the fog of life and we allow our prayers to be silenced. And I wonder how close many of us were to answers. We stop for so many reasons. The fog looks different in, in some ways and very similar for us. It could be discouragement. You're weary, you're exhausted, you're anxious, you're fearful, you're, you're embarrassed. Like I've been doing this a really long time and nothing's happened. Like everyone thinks I'm an idiot. I, I'm distracted. Maybe something else piques your interest and you just forget. You get apathetic. You get that spiritual malaise settling in over you. And we let that fog, whatever it is in our life, become like a teacher to us. It teaches us that we should stop, that we're too far, that we don't see the end in sight, and we probably should just stop. And that makes me wonder, as I said, how many things have we been so close to getting an answer to, just like Florence Chadwick, and we miss out. But here's the good news, and this is what I believe this passage is sharing with us this morning, is that when Jesus becomes our teacher, when Jesus becomes the one that we are focused on and informed by, not the fog of life, not the discouragements, not the distractions, not the disappointments, not the embarrassments, not the what are people going to think of me, all that. When Jesus becomes our teacher, our prayers cannot be silenced. Our prayers are heard and our prayers are answered. And the fog of life has no influence as we persevere to see answered prayer. So this is what I wanna talk to you about this morning from this passage that when Jesus is our teacher, our prayers cannot be silenced. Our prayers are heard and our prayers are answered. First, when Jesus is our teacher, our prayers cannot be silenced. There's this blind man, Bartimaeus, who's sitting in Jericho. He's a poor beggar in the outskirts of the city. Jesus is on his way from Galilee, and he's going down this route on the other side of the Jordan, and he comes through Jericho, which was a scattering of a bunch of different communities around a beautiful oasis, and and they were leaving on their way to head up the mountains into where Jerusalem was, And there's this really annoying man over on the side of the road shouting at the top of his lungs. 
and it was very bothersome to everyone. People did not appreciate that he was making so much noise. Have mercy on me, son of David. Jesus, do you hear me? I'm over here. Hey, Jesus. One commentator notes there are three possible explanations for why the crowd wanted to silence this blind man. Be quiet, they were telling him. Number one, he suggests that they were busy hearing the teachings of Jesus as they were walking on the road and they're like, Shh, we're, we're focused on something else right now. Will you please be quiet? Jesus is teaching us something very important. They were silenced, in other words, by distraction. Another possible uh, reason why they were asking him to be quiet was they, they didn't consider this blind man to actually be significant enough to be bothered by this important teacher. Shh, you've got too many issues in your life. You're poor. Look at you on the side of the road. You haven't made anything of your life. What have you been doing with your time? Account for yourself. I'm sure that you have something to do with this whole situation that you're in. Please be quiet. They were silenced by their view of this man's worth, by his past, by his story, his baggage, his issues. Or three, the commentator says they were embarrassed by this man's messianic claims, son of David. This is really abrupt because up to this point, the only time someone's referenced Jesus as the Messiah were, her, were, were his own uh, followers, his own disciples right before the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus explicitly says, be quiet, don't tell anyone that. And no one's used this phrase, son of David, which is a messianic title, that Jesus is the one sent from God to rescue the world. And so he's all of a sudden, this is very abrupt in the story, he's saying, son of David, Jesus, son of David, you have mercy on me. And everyone's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The commentator suggests that they were embarrassed by this man's messianic claims. That's, that's too extreme, Bartimaeus. Will you tone down your cries for help? Just, just relax a little bit. You don't have to be so spiritual all the time, Bartimaeus. You don't have to get so into your prayer. You know, like maybe you should try and do something to help yourself too. You see, they were being silenced by fear. Fear of what other people would think. Embarrassment, shame, like cynicism. Like, I don't know, son of David, that's a bit of a, a stretch here. You see, these, these voices tried to silence Bartimaeus' prayer life, but they also try to silence ours. Distraction, our past, our, our story, our worth, and our fears. What are the voices that silence you from crying out to Jesus? What are the voices that silence you by distraction? So many of us don't even have regular prayer habits because of how much distraction exists in our lives. We were doing the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course recently and one of the biggest things in that course that people would share is 
how hard it is to commit to a daily rhythm of multiple times a day stopping to be with Jesus. And we're not talking stop to be with Jesus for an hour and a half. We're talking spend five minutes with him on your lunch break. And how many people are like, oh, I forgot again, or I got distracted by this, or had this thing come up. It's amazing how many things distract us from a regular habit of prayer. Now, I'm not just saying that about you all. I'm saying that about me. You have one of these? It's amazing how good this thing is at distracting me from my prayer life. Our phones can distract us so well. And I've got so many little, uh, like, uh, do not disturb things that go set at different times of day and certain things like that. Like, they're going off all these different times. I've got alarms to remind me to pray, all these things. I'm like, see, it's helping me pray. Yeah. It's 50-50. It's 50-50. But phones and entertainment and things like that, man, they numb us and comfort us and medicate us to a place where I'm like, it's just a lot easier to just hang out and just veg instead of being present with Jesus. We can be distracted by that. We can be distracted by the American dream. We've talked about this, right? This, this narrative we have in our heads of like we, we go to college and we, you know, get that career and we get married and we have a family and we retire and then we die. And we have that narrative of like, this is success. And so career and comfort and wealth and material, distract, material possessions start to distract us from our prayer life. It becomes like a fog. Busyness kind of covers a lot of the, but our favorite word to describe what we've been up to often is busy. When you ask someone, how you doing? Busy. And we wear it like a badge of honor. Look at how important I am. I'm so busy. I love um, uh, the, the pastor. Oh my goodness. His name is escaping me at this moment. Uh, pastor um, Eugene Peterson who, uh, who, who talked about this idea of being busy and how important busyness is to us, how we, we think better of people who are busy. And he talks about how concerned he would be if he went to see a new doctor and he went into the doctor's office saying, the doctor will see you in five minutes. And he noticed the doctor's just got his feet up on the table in his office, like reading a book. Like he should be just crammed with patient after patient after, do I want to see this doctor? Why is no one coming here? That concerns me. We think about it with restaurants all the time too, right? Why isn't this place busy? Ooh, that concerns me. It's probably not good if it's not busy. We're probably not important if we're not busy. And busyness, it's such a, 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 a currency in our culture and in our world that if we're not busy because we're trying to slow down to be with Jesus, yeah, you sound lazy to me. It's so easily to, easy to be silenced by distraction. 
We can be silenced by our past, by our stories. Some of us have been silenced in our prayer life because uh, our, pa- our sin issues, our past, or we don't wanna deal with things. Uh, maybe it's something we're currently facing. Maybe it's something that we did in the past and we just feel unworthy or embarrassed or we're full of shame and we don't wanna come to Jesus. We've got mistakes or maybe there's bitterness and we're not willing to forgive or we feel the sense of rejection from God. Maybe we've got church wounding, we're disillusioned because the last church we were a part of hurt us so much and I just can't bring myself to to ask God for anything anymore. We're full of shame and shame is just like, well, you're worthless. Why would God wanna talk to you anyway? Well, yeah, see, I know I'm, I'm shameful because I made mistakes and instead of it being about I did something, it's like I am something. That's what shame is. We get silenced by the weariness of all the weight of, of, the, of the emotional pain that we've experienced. We get silenced from the, the, the lies of our life that we're not enough. We get silenced by lies that say, God doesn't want to hear that again. Get over it. Or we become silenced by fear. Some of us are afraid of the risk that is involved, the disappointment that we could experience if we pray and don't get an answer. What if, what if this doesn't work? What if I pray and God doesn't answer? What if I pray and I don't get the answer that I am hoping for? What if he gives me another answer that scares me? What if he gives me another uh, answer that is risky and I don't really want to hear it or it's, it's uncomfortable? Or maybe we're just cynical. Like, is he really actually going to answer? Is this prayer thing? Am I just like saying words? Like, is this going anywhere? Is this doing anything? We're afraid of failing or we didn't pray right. All these different things. And so we're afraid. So we just stop altogether. But any of these voices, these kinds of fogs can keep us quiet, distraction, our past, our our life issues, fear. And why is it important that you know what voices silence you from crying out to Jesus? Why does that matter so much that you do the work to know and understand what voices are silencing you? And it's this. Because what you allow to silence you is what is teaching you. What you allow to speak into your life to tell you to stop, to be quiet, to do not pray, all of those things are informing you, i.e. they are your teachers. And so whatever voices are silencing you are teaching you, but they're not teaching you in the way of Jesus. They're teaching you in a way of despair, a way of hopelessness. It leads you to seeing breakthrough and joy and freedom and fruit in your life. It leads you to a place of increased anxiety and numbness. Imagine what would have happened if Bartimaeus said, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'll be quiet. 
what would have happened if he said, oh, I'm terribly sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. I'll be quiet. Yeah, I'm so sorry, you're, you're right. I have too many issues in my life. I should stop asking Jesus to answer. Yeah, you're right. You know, I'm just shouting words here. There's so many people around him. He's probably not gonna hear me. Whatever you allow to silence you is what teaches you. So if if these kinds of things or other things that are popping into your mind are teaching you, that means Jesus is not teaching you. And if we are disciples of Jesus, going back to the very first theme we talked about in Mark in January, if we're disciples of Jesus, it means we are being taught by Jesus not by these other voices. So a key set of questions before we wrap up this first point, a key set of questions to ask for your own discipleship and formation that can help you guard against the voices that would seek to teach you. Ask yourself, who are the people? What are the things? And where are the places that form you into being like Jesus? But also, who are the people? What are the things and where are the places that are deforming you out of being like Jesus? Take seriously that who, what, and where because those things will show you who your teachers are. Who is teaching you? When Jesus is our teacher, our prayers cannot be silenced. Second, when Jesus is our teacher, our prayers are heard. When we make Jesus our teacher, when we're insistent that these other voices are not going to gain influence in our lives, we see things like this. Jesus heard him and he stopped. Jesus heard Bartimaeus and he stopped. Now, there's this huge crowd processing along the road. There's all these people surrounding Jesus. And imagine Jesus hears Bartimaeus and he just stops. All these people that are just like this with Jesus, just like hanging on every word. Jesus, we're so glad to be recognized as being part of your entourage. Jesus, do I look good? Am I close enough to him? Make sure I'm in that picture too with Jesus. Jesus stops and everyone's like, what, what's going on? What's going on? What, everything was going all right here, but Jesus stopped. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with the crowd. He wasn't concerned with what they were all doing, their, their loyalty to him. He wasn't really concerned with the hype around him. It didn't influence him. What influenced him was hearing someone cry out, ignoring every other voice. That's what influenced Jesus. Someone desperate enough, a poor beggar crying out for mercy. And it causes the God of the universe to stop dead in his tracks. You see, Bartimaeus isn't willing to be instructed by false voices around him, telling him to be quiet. This very act of crying 
out for mercy in and of itself is humbling. Now, when you ask for help for something from someone, you are, whether you say it openly or not, you are admitting that there's some lack that you have and you need something from someone else, right? Our kids do this with us all the time. Sometimes they do it too much. Now, they're kids. They're doing it exactly as much as they should. But see, what happens with us when we become adults, grown-ups, we, we get a little bit too sophisticated for our own good, and we are taught that we're, you're supposed to be able to figure everything out on your own. And that's a really, yeah, some of the wiser um, of us in the room are going, hmm, I've lived long enough to know that that's just gotten me in trouble. That's not helpful. But here's what this man does. Here's what Bartimaeus does that stops Jesus dead in his tracks. He is so humble. He is so humbled. He's asking for help. He's saying, I do not have any ability to help myself. Jesus, have mercy on me. And the word used, this is a little bit of a lame translation for this word here in, in this translation. It says, he began to shout, That's fine, but the Greek word here means to scream, to shriek, to cry, to bawl, to shout, to babble, to clamor for. In other words, Bartimaeus looked pathetic. Have your prayers ever gotten to a place where you're so desperate, you're so humbling yourself, you're so just desperate for God to break in that you're willing to look pathetic? A lot of us know because we've got too much pride that we don't even realize is keeping us from praying that desperate of a prayer. I find myself all the time going like, I guess I'm kind of good if I'm really honest with where my heart's at. I don't pray as desperately as I think God's inviting me into. When's the last time you shrieked in prayer to Jesus? When's the last time you prayed with such a desperation because you knew there's no other answer, God. If you don't come through, I've got nothing. Because like we talked about last week, so many of us live with so many other options. That it's so easy to just go, hey God, you know, it'd be great if you could do this. And even in the moment, we'll be desperate for that, but it doesn't really get to that level where we are humiliated by our prayer life. That's the root of humble, by the way, to be humiliated. Have you ever been humiliated by your prayer life? You are praying in such a way that on the outside it's embarrassing, but you are honestly, maybe for the first time in your life, pouring out your soul to God. This is why in, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, when Hannah is there asking God to give her a child, Eli's like, this woman So embarrassing. I got to get her out of the temple. She's in here drunk. She's in here drunk. She she wasn't drunk. She's like, I have been praying, desperately crying out to God for him to answer me and give me a child. And it was so pathetic. Her prayer looked so embarrassing. It looked so unorthodox. It was shrieks and cries and babbling and murmuring. She'd come to the end of herself and she was finally praying 
in that space that God wants us to pray from, that space Bartimaeus started to pray from. And Eli's like, this drunk woman's got to get out of here. This is what the Apostle Paul writes about when he says our prayers, sometimes when we begin to pray the way the Spirit is leading us to prayer, it comes out with groans and utterances that are too deep for words. Folks, we have been praying nice prayers for too long and they are not humble prayers. They are prayers of, it'd be nice if you could figure this out, Jesus, but I've got a couple other options. I'm pretty comfortable right now. And please know I am speaking to myself with this as much as I am to you. There have been moments where I have found myself getting silence. I've let voices silence my prayer life and I go, man, I haven't been desperate enough Am I real, do I really need mercy? Do I think I need mercy? Do I actually think that I need to be this humble in my prayer life? Do I actually need God that much? Do I think I do? See, there's this there's consistent thread throughout the Old and the New Testament of the scriptures that contrasts between the rich man and the poor man. The rich man is, is, is all throughout the scriptures, but Jesus sums it up really well in Luke 6, 20, and 24. Blessed are the poor because yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich because you have received your comfort. Now he's not saying if you've got money, you're going to hell. What he's saying is often wealth, it's really easy for that to become our comfort. It's easy for material possession to become our comfort. And you're saying, well, thank God I'm not rich. But the American church is the wealthiest group of believers that has ever existed in the history of Christianity. Doesn't matter if you have a billion dollars or one dollar. You are wealthier than any other part of the church in all of church history. So that word's for us. Those who are rich in this sense rely on their wealth. They rely on what they can do. They're arrogant. They, they say, you know what? I've got this figured out. And Jesus says, man, woe to you. You've already received your comfort. You're not gonna see the answer you're looking for. But the poor man is like in Psalm 34, six. This poor man called and Yahweh heard and saved him from all his troubles. He's got nothing left. The poor are always, this word poor means, it means poor, literally impoverished financially, but also afflicted. You ever feel afflicted? Don't try and comfort yourself. Bring it before the Lord because this verse is for you. This poor person called on God and he saved them from all their troubles. Do we pray like that? Shouting out with shrieks. Because when Jesus is our teacher, we know I, none of these other things can comfort me the way Jesus can. And I know he'll hear me, but I need to humble myself and begin to pray like he's my only option. Are you all, all okay this morning? When Jesus is our teacher, we are humbled enough to take his instruction to recognize that he knows stuff that we don't and we need to listen. This kind of humility in our prayer life, listen, this is so important. 
This is the whole point of this. This isn't a shame fest, like we need to all get more desperate in our prayer. Here's the point of why I'm saying this. This kind of humility in our prayer life attracts heaven to us. There's literally Psalms, Psalm after Psalm. I love reading the Psalms because it's real life unfolding. Psalm after Psalm where the psalmist desperately describes their pathetic, poor, humble situation saying, God, you're my only answer. And there's some of these Psalms that are so beautiful in like a really intense way, like describing God as like having fire coming from his nostrils and he's like moving heaven and he's moving storms and he's moving mountains and he's kicking everything. Imagine like a mom, like when she hears her kid crying, like the other side of the house, it's like, get out of my way. This is what God does when you begin to cry out like this to him. He will move everything to come to you and hear you. And Jesus does this with Bartimaeus and he wants to do it for you. He wants to hear you shout, to cry out, to give a prayer to him that is truly desperate and he will stop the crowd. He will stop heaven and earth and everything will pause and he will say, come over here. Come over here. I want to answer you. I hear you. Come here. When Jesus is our teacher, our prayers are heard. But it still doesn't stop there. Finally, when Jesus is our teacher, not only are our prayers not able to be silenced, not only are our prayers heard, but Jesus, when he is our teacher, our prayers are answered. Our prayers are answered. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus, what what do you want me to do for you? That's a great question, by the way, if you're ever praying for someone. What do you want Jesus to do for you? I find when someone can't really answer that question, they haven't really reached a place of desperation. But Bartimaeus had, and he said, I want to see. Period. Not being, you know, it'd be nice if, like, you know, but but if you're too busy, like, you're, He's done with that. He's desperate for an answer. I want to see. I want freedom in my life, God. I want to be free from anxiety. I want healing in my body. I want my, my friend, my family member, my coworker to come to Jesus. I want my family to stop living in these repeated sin patterns from generation to generation. But I love this. He doesn't simply say, I want to see. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. Rabboni in the Greek. It's actually transliterated from Hebrew, Rabboni. This is a radical word for Bartimaeus to use because this word was only used by someone who was actually a disciple of the rabbi. If you were not invited, like remember earlier, we were talking about how Jesus is calling you to be his disciple. Come follow me. And he's calling all these people to follow him. He never asked Bartimaeus to follow him. Get off using that title, rabbi. It's really presumptuous of you, Bartimaeus. See, he, he had made Jesus. His, he, made his, he made Jesus his teacher a long time ago because those voices couldn't keep him quiet. He knew he needed to pray in such a way that his, his prayers were heard. He prayed humble prayers. And now here he was, just, he was just saying out what he already believed to be true. And he was already behaving in that sense of rabbi. 
I want to see. You are my teacher. You are the one that informs my life. You are the one that influences my decisions. I'm not letting any of these other voices of the crowd or the fog of life or whatever it is dictate anything. Rabbi, I'm coming to you and you alone exclusively. I want to see. You don't have to wait until you've been following Jesus for a certain amount of time to cry out for what you really need. You don't have to wait until you get to a certain place in your journey or till you have a certain amount of time to cry out or whatever it is. You simply need to ask him. You simply need to make him your teacher and ask him, tell him what you need. When he comes to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? Just tell him. Jesus is our teacher. Our prayers cannot be silenced. Our prayers are heard. And our prayers are answered. Immediately. He could see. But this is how serious he was about Jesus being his teacher. Mark closes with this line. He followed Jesus down the road. The, the, the words used there in the Greek refer to someone following Jesus in the way, becoming a disciple. And the reason his name is used, by the way, because it was very rare for Mark to include anyone's name, the reason most likely that Bartimaeus' name is included is because Mark's audience, the early church, knew Bartimaeus. He was one of the Christians. They don't know Bartimaeus. He was a follower of Jesus now. Because he made Jesus his teacher, he couldn't be silenced by any of those other voices when he was praying. And his teacher answered him. Going back to Florence Chadwick's story as we close this morning, her story did not actually end in total failure. She decided she was going to try again to swim to the mainland of California. And this time the fog rolled in just like before. And she said as she swam, she kept telling herself, I know that there's land through that fog. I know that there's land through that fog. I know that there's land through that fog. You see, that fog had once been her teacher. It had been the voices that taught her to give up, to not persevere in her swimming, to not reach her goal and her destiny. She kept going and kept going and kept going saying, I know there's land through that fog. And when she reached the coast of California, she learned she had not only broken the women's record for that distance swimming, she'd broken the men's record by two hours. Are you going to let the voices of the fog Cut short your prayer life. Or are you going to say, I know who my teacher is. And I know that he hears me. And I know that he will answer me. Some of you have been praying really big prayers 
Some of you have been praying with some level of angst and you don't actually really know what the prayer is and you just need to come to a place of groaning through the Holy Spirit before Jesus. You might look drunk like Hannah. You might look ridiculous and stupid and foolish. And I'm using these words intentionally because you can't be afraid of what other people think. There's land through that fog. There's land through that fog. We've been praying into God doing something in West Milford for three and a half years about now and praying for God to do something and praying for God to do something. Some of you, maybe you've found yourself getting stuck in the fog as you've been praying into that with us. Either in your own life and things with being a part of our church family, things in your own families, workplaces, whatever it is, you've been stuck in the fog. You've been discouraged and you've thought about giving up getting that back in the boat. I don't want you to stop just short of land. I don't want you to stop just short of breakthrough. Jill and I like recently actually have been kind of discouraged about a couple things just in the West Milford community that just weighed on us and they felt like fog rolling in. And I felt really challenged as I was just reading over this, pouring over this passage of scripture the last few weeks of just man, I don't want this to become a fog, to become a voice that I listen to, that tells me and informs me what God is up to here in this community. You've got things hitting your life all the time and they wanna try and teach you how you should pray. They wanna try and shape you away from what God is doing. So the question is, are you gonna let that fog become your teacher or will Jesus be your teacher? Who are the people? What are the things? Where are the places that are forming you to be like Jesus? And who are the people? What are the things? Where are the places that are leading you away from Jesus? Would you stand? Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.